You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, we continue our sermon series, Just a Phase, with a message from Senior Minister Adam Hale on the third phase in any child's life, middle school. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Well, good morning. Uh, I really like those videos, and uh, I hope that you uh, you like them well. I can't wait for you to see the the one next week, the last one, but let me just say how glad I am that I don't have daughters, because uh, I've watched these videos so many times, and there's there's just an emotion that... Uh, that gets stirred by your children and and uh so seeing these videos with you know the guys and with the daughter and I see how some of you all act with your daughters and I see you know I've seen my dad with my sister and and my father-in-law with my wife and that connection that happens between a between a dad and his daughter and so I'm just really glad that I don't have daughters and I don't have to deal with boys calling my daughter at ungodly hours and and Noah let me just say this in front of everybody. If you ever decide to call some girl past a, an a, appropriate time, well, we're going to have to talk about that. Happy Mother's Day. We are really glad that you're here, moms. We we want to celebrate you, and we're honored that you would make worship as a part of your, uh, your Mother's Day uh, event. You know, we've been talking about for the past two weeks this idea that the life, in the life of a child there are 940 weeks. And between the time a child is born and the time that they will turn 18, there, there are four phases that they will go through in those 940 weeks. And so 940, it seems like a very large amount of time, but it's not. It really is not. It's a very limited amount of time. And so as parents and as a church, as a community of faith, we have to leverage our influence in their life. We have to take advantage of every opportunity, be intentional every week in those 940 weeks, to leverage our influence in their life. You know, we've, we've been using this phrase, it's just a phase. And how many times have we said that, especially about the phase that we're going to talk about today, the middle school phase. We say, it's just a phase. And then we follow it up by what? They'll grow out of it. Or at least we hope they'll grow out of it, right? But we want to say, no, 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 no. The, the reality is, is that they are going to grow out of it. They are going to grow out of that phase and move into another phase. And so instead of that being our outlook, our outlook needs to be it's just a phase so we can't miss it. Because they are going to grow out of it. So, so let's not miss it. And so today we're going to talk about what happens when we say yes to middle schoolers. How we can influence the significant relationships that they have. How we can understand the present realities of a middle schooler. And how we can leverage the, those distinctive opportunities that present themselves in the life of a middle schooler. Now, if there is one phase that may be the most horrible phase that a child goes through, it's this one. It's the middle school phase. I told you all last week about my 7th grade uh, history teacher, and she told me that if you're a good person when you, when you die, you go to heaven, and if you're a bad person when you die, you go back to middle school. And, and that really seems to be <laughs> maybe not that far from the truth, we think. But think about it. This phase is like no other phase. So many things are happening and transitioning. And think about just all the different transitions that take place in the, in the phase of a middle school student. For many students, there's the whole transition to a new school. And that in and of itself comes with lots of questions like, will there really be that much more homework? 
Will there really be uh, that many more kids? Will I be able to open my locker? What will happen if I can't find the bathroom? You know, those causes cause some sleepless nights and some, some anxiety for middle school students. And notice the transition to the new school, what really does not cause that much anxiety? The academics and the learning. That really don't cause all that much anxiety for middle school students, but it's the social interactions. In a series of uh, student focus groups there were, that were conducted with sixth grade students in middle schools, uh, I was kind of surprised to find out that they formed most of their uh, impressions about what middle school was going to be like from elementary school teachers and their siblings or neighbors. Their elementary school teachers made such comments like, you better learn this now because next year your middle school uh, teachers will expect you to know it. Or you better do your homework uh, this year because next year you'll have so much of it that if you don't know how to study, you'll fail. Or go ahead and act like that now if you have to, but next year your teachers won't put up with it. And older neighbors and brothers and sisters, typically brothers, said in fun sometimes and other times as kind of a rite of passage, things like, wait till next year. You'll love the swirlies. They're going to stick your head in the toilet and then flush. Or next year when you little 6th graders walk down those crowded hallways, the 8th graders will just push you out of the way. Or next year your teachers that, that are, will be really mean and they won't put up with all your baby stuff. You know, these are things that are a changing reality for middle school students as they, as they transition to a new school. And then there's the whole puberty change, and we could spend the rest of our time today just talking about that change alone. But I think we all understand that between hormone growth and, and, and growth spurts and, and voice changes and attitude changes, that once sweet little child that we brought home from the hospital that looked at us and we thought was the greatest thing in the world is now a completely different human being. And oftentimes one that we don't really recognize. It's this change that gives us a little bit of insight into the animal kingdom and, and we see why in the animal kingdom some mothers of animals, they eat their young. We understand that when our kids get to this phase of life. But there hasn't been this much change in the life of your child since the first year of life. And so understanding what's going on with middle school students is vital if we want to keep laying that solid foundation for our students as they get closer and closer to the end of their 940 weeks. And just an FYI, by the time a student gets into the 6th grade, they typically have 322 weeks left in their 940 weeks. That's not a lot. It's why Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, Verses 5-7, through seven. it's the same passage we've been using this entire series. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Here's the reality as your students enter into middle school. You will find yourself spending less and less and less time with them than you have before. New social circles, new activities, new everything will replace much of the time that you have spent with them. It's one of the reasons, it's mainly the main reason that we must talk about these things when we walk along the road with them. Maybe in our context it's when we're driving them to school. Or on that rare occasion when, when we all are able to, to sit around the table and share a meal together. 
We have to talk about these things over and over and over because as so many other things transition, the one thing that doesn't transition, the one thing that doesn't change, is that you're still the parent. That doesn't change. Even as much as in this phase that often your kids don't want you to be the parent, or for that matter, that you don't want to be the parent. And so middle school begins as they enter into the sixth grade, and this is the phase where there are never enough groceries, there are way too, too many hormones, and one very dramatic kid will need you to prove who cares. Again, this phase has less consistency than all of the other phases. Some sixth graders, they'll still sleep with stuffed animals, while others will, will, will want to sleep with their new iPhone. It's just that, that transition from, from elementary to middle school, almost from, from child to, to, to adult almost. And in these 52 weeks, a, a kid may grow 3 inches, they might gain 10 pounds, but the place you're most likely to notice the growth is in your grocery bill. If you really want to have influence with middle schoolers, with 6th graders, keep your refrigerator stocked. I promise you, they will be at your house. But during, but during this year, there, there, will be, there will be lots of tears, both yours and theirs. Doors will slam, drama will happen, hormones will soar, friends will break up, abnormal will become the new norm. But amid all the ups and downs and these changing tides of emotion, now is the time to, to lean into that even more, to push even harder. When, when they push you away, prove that you can't be pushed away. When they change, prove that you will love them consistently. When they break your trust, prove that you are someone who can be trusted. And it may seem challenging, but keep up with the chase because it's in this phase that they should never have to wonder who cares. And remember, it's just a phase. So don't miss it. Then they move into 7th and 8th grade and this is the phase when, when nothing you do is cool, everything is fun in a crowd, and one smart kid will keep reminding you, yeah, I know. This is the time that as a parent, maybe this, this might be the golden era for parenting, this, this phase right here, because this is the, the phase as a parent, and maybe really any adult, you get to figure out just how embarrassing you can really be. This is the time where you can embarrass your kids like no other. In fact, just your mere presence oftentimes will be an embarrassment to them. But there are new rules for social behavior in this phase. You have to figure out when it's acceptable to like their Instagram post, when you can comment on their social media posts, because oftentimes... They don't want you to comment. They don't want to see the notification that says mom likes your post. That's a, that's a death sentence to many 7th and 8th graders. You have to figure out when you're expected to show up to the game and, wh- and whose parents you're supposed to talk to and whose parents you're not supposed to talk to. You've got to figure out when you're, when you're supposed to dress up and impress or when you're supposed to just be casual. In this phase, insecurity is the unspoken force that keeps this phase so wonderfully awkward. Even the most confident 7th grader may choose a group Halloween costume to lessen the risk of, of standing out. You know, they walk the halls in pairs, they go to the mall in herds, they build unfathomably large social media platforms. The name of the game is to never be caught alone and always be associated with the coolest crowd possible. And the thing that might surprise you the most in this phase is just how smart kids in this phase really are. In fact, there may, there may be no phase quite as smart as this one. And if you don't believe me, just ask them. They will tell you 
They will tell you exactly how smart they are. And being so much smarter in this phase, really being so much smarter than everyone else's, can really just be, be a burden for them. And as a result, sometimes the patience just runs out. You all know what I'm talking about, parents, when, when you've had to ask your 7th your or 8th grader a question, and they just keep looking at you and looking at you and looking at you, and they have that look on their face like, will you just get it already? Right? They're, you know, that. are being so much smarter than you. It's just a burden for them. But the important thing will be what they know. It will be. It will be. The most important thing will be what they know and how they begin to personalize it in this phase. And I know it will be tough at times to not just want to smack the patients right off their face. I know. But instead of doing that, look for ways to encourage their process because remember, it is their process and it is their phase. And it is just a phase. So don't miss it. And in each phase, we must try to influence the significant relationships that each phase has. And so here's the thing with influencing significant relationships in the middle school phase. Regardless of how much a church learns about, about middle schoolers or how many or what school teachers learn about life stages, there's one person, one group of people that knows middle school students better than any other group of people. And that's their parents. I know more about Noah than any teacher or any doctor or any whatever will ever know about him. You know more about your middle school student than anybody else will ever possibly know about them. And a parent has history with, with them. So in the middle school phase, the person that often has the least amount of influence that the middle schooler wants the least amount of, to do with, though, is the parent. And so parents, that's why it's vitally important in this phase that we learn to reinvent ourselves. Parents must reinvent themselves or they may, they may risk missing out on having the right kind of long-term influential relational influence. Think about, about this in terms of reinventing. In 1995, Kodak, the, the camera company, they did $16 billion worth of sales. And over the next 15 years, they would see a steady decline in their sales so that in 2010, they only did $7.1 billion in sales. Now, I know I said billion, and that still seemed like quite a bit. But they went, they went from $16 billion to $7 billion in sales. You know why the decline? Kodak, Kodak ignored the digital phase of, of technology, of photography. And as the digital era grew of, of photography, and they refused to acknowledge it, in fact, they said, we're going we're gonna to print out new paper, we're going to come out with new paper so that you can print your photos, and we're going to charge more for that paper. And all people really said was, I just want to be able to put my, my pictures on my computer. I don't want to print them out. I just want to have them on my computer. And so they ignored that, and their sales suffered. In 1994, the movie uh, rental mogul Blockbuster, they were worth $8.4 billion. In 1994, they were worth $8.4 billion. In 2010, their net worth had decreased to $24 million. Why? The same reason as Kodak. Because the way people watched movies began to shift, and they didn't embrace it. On the flip side of that, Disney World in 1975 had 12.5 million people come to their park. In 2013, Disney saw over 50 million people go through their gates. Why? Because they were on the front lines of reinvention and they continued to create new ways in which the way people engage their parks. Amazon in 1996 did $15.7 million in sales. 
and it's now the nation's largest retail store without a single store. In 2014, Amazon did 88.9 billion B with a B billion with a B in sales. Why? The same reason. The same reason as Disney has seen so much sustained success. They've been on the front lines of innovation and reinvention. The point is this, is that there are tons of things that are changing so fast in our world, it may be impossible to keep up, but maybe nothing changes more fast than middle school students, which is why it's so important for parents to stay connected to them at this phase. And so if that means that we reinvent the way that we parent a little bit, then do it. Because as a parent, your time that you're able to spend decreases and there's so many other voices uh, that, are, that, are, that are influencing your child. And it's expected that the most amount of time that you will spend with your middle school student in an average day is four hours. Out of a 24-hour period, hour day, the most amount you will get is four. That's a really good day. Parents of high school students, I have bad news for you. High school parents, it's even less. Which is why parents have to reinvent themselves to capitalize on the limited amount of time that you have with them and the ability to be a significant influence in this phase of their life. It's, a rea- it's really about a fundamental shift in thinking on the parents' side. It's a shift in thinking that as parents we are raising children. But let me be real clear about this. We are not raising children. We are raising adults. Think about this. We're not raising children. We're raising adults. When your child turns 18, they're no longer a child. You have raised them through their childhood, but you have not raised a child, your finished product is an adult. And so we have to think in those terms that we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And so during this phase, if you want to have significant influence, affirm their personal journey. During middle school, parents need to master the skill, the skill set of never freaking out. This is going to be your opportunity to, to freak out a lot. I, I, the passage Tim read, Romans 12, 12, I thought, well, that was a great passage for, for middle schoolers. We, we, uh, we're joyful for hope, right? Because we hope that this phase ends soon, right? We're, uh, we're persistent in tribulations because there are, we're patient in tribulations because there are a lot of tribulations in the middle school phase, right? And then we're persistent in prayer because this may be the, mo- the phase where parents pray more than any other phase of life. God, please get them through this phase. Please speed this phase up. God, please don't let me kill them in this phase. And so during this time, you'll have plenty of opportunities to, pr- to prove a relational commitment. So don't miss those opportunities because it is just a phase. And while every phase has significant relationships to influence, every phase has present realities that we need to understand. And so in the middle school phase, we need to understand that the biggest growth spurt that takes place in a middle schooler actually may take place in their brain. Now, I know it doesn't often seem like that. In fact, we think that oftentimes that's the one part of their body that begins to shrink, but it's actually the part of their body that grows the most. Middle schoolers think like engineers. Now, I don't know if we've ever put those two two, uh, things together, middle schoolers and engineers, but middle schoolers think like engineers. Engineers solve problems by connecting concepts so that they work together. And middle schoolers, they personalize abstract ideas and concepts by connecting ideas. And so when the ideas and concepts don't connect, we often are left with that oh-so-familiar deer-in-the-headlight look. So here's the thing that we do as adults that, that really doesn't help us in making and helping them make the connection. Number one, there's actually two mistakes that we do make, and actually... 
Number one is this. Adults tend to assume that the, the kids, that middle schoolers are like me now. We tend to view most kids as though they are 30 or 45 or 67 or whatever age that you currently are. But they're not. They're 12 and 13. And they don't have the life experience that we have. And they don't understand some of the things that, that we've experienced. And so we have to help them connect the dots through the lens of a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old. They're not like us now. And then adult, the second thing that we do is adults tend to assume that they are like I used to be. I mean, after all, you were a kid once, right? You survived middle school already, right? So you should know a thing or two about what it's like to grow up, right? The problem with this thinking is that a lot has changed since you were a middle schooler. And that's not to say that you're old. It's just to say that things change very quickly. You know, it's been, it's been hard to believe for me, hard to believe, but a little over 20 years since I was in middle school. There's been a lot of change in the last 20 years. And so we can't assume that they're like we used to be. Things are simply different. Think of it this way. Children are most like adults in their feelings. And they are least like adults in their thinking. More information does not make them more like us. In the passage of Scripture that we've been reading all, all uh, month long in this series, Deuteronomy 6, Moses addressed the nation of Israel and made, made a passionate plea to impress on the hearts of children core truths that relate to God. Some translations use the phrase to teach diligently. It could also be translated to mean to cause to learn. Moses wasn't advocating a lecture-based Torah literacy program where, where a teacher's responsibility was, was ended once the, the content was presented. He wasn't advocating that. What Moses knew was this, that the role of a parent, the role of a teacher, the role of a leader is not to simply present accurate information. The role of a parent is to keep presenting, to keep translating, and to keep creating experiences until those abstract ideas finally connect with our middle school student. And so when we get frustrated, and we will get frustrated, and we get that blank stare, and we will get that blank stare. Don't give up. Don't throw your hands up and, and, and get aggravated with them. Don't, be, don't become so frustrated that you can't speak to them. Just simply try to find new ways to connect the dots. And just remember, it's just a phase. The blank stares will eventually go away. So don't miss it. And every phase has distinctive opportunities that we need to leverage. Remember what we've been saying this whole series, that, that every child is created in the image of God. That even means every smelly middle school boy and every drama queen girl. They are all created in the image of God. And so when it comes to middle school students and leading the next generation, we have to be thinking not just in terms of, of child development, but also spiritual growth. So when it comes to leading the next generation, spiritual growth means helping kids mature in their ability to relate to God. Unfortunately, there are two ways in which adults unintentionally miss this when it comes to fostering spiritual growth in the next generation. First, adults make the mistake of connecting teens to a God who seems irrelevant. God is relevant to every phase of life, but there are aspects of God where God seems more relevant than at other phases of life, right? And even as adults, we understand this. There are times where God seems more real to us, more relevant to us, more, more connected to what we're go going through than at other times of life. It's just the ebb and flow of life. And so oftentimes adults make the mistake of trying to connect teenagers to a God who seems irrelevant to them. 
But when you leverage distinctive opportunities to influence a kid's faith, you look for ways to appeal to, their, to the phase that they're in to help them relate to God. Secondly, adults make the mistake of connecting teens to a God who seems false. Now that may seem harsh. But with the number of teens who disconnect from their faith and they walk away from the church when, they, when they're first given the opportunity to, we need to seriously consider what makes them disconnect, what causes them to, to walk away. And one of the reasons it, it may be is that we've introduced them to a God, to a very fixed view of God. The kind of view that believes once you meet God, that that's it. You know, hi God, how you doing? And that's all there is. The problem is, is that as kids grow and as they change, their perspective and their life experiences uh, changes as well. And if they have a view of God that is too fixed, then when something challenges what they thought of God, how they viewed God, oftentimes it, the, the reaction is that, well, God must be a lie. And when you leverage distinctive opportunities to influence a kid's faith, you help them develop a dynamic view of God, an all-encompassing view of God, not one that doesn't just say that this is all there is to God. And so we have to help middle school students relate to God and to understand the principles of God's story and how God's story redeems their story. And middle schoolers who think like engineers need to know that God can rebuild a story even when things have have gone, haven't gone according to plan. Even when the dots didn't connect. They relate to a God who, who overcomes impossible odds. Who rebuilds what's broken. Who, who brings stability. Who restores peace. Who resolves doubt. Who gives hope and redeems everyone. And you know, that may, not, that may be the most important thing at this phase. Is to help them understand that God redeems everyone. Because I guarantee they go to school with kids who they think are not redeemable. Who oftentimes maybe their teachers and maybe adults think that are not redeemable. And so we need to, to help them see that God's story, not only, not only there's an overarching narrative that connects all of His story from Genesis to Revelation, but also intersects with their story and the story of the people around them. And so when you affirm their personal journey, you help a middle schooler own their faith and value a faith community. And so real quickly, three ideas to help middle schoolers mature in their relationship with God. Number one is this, is connect the dots. An engineer may have to, to connect uh, physics and designs in order to solve a problem. And in the same way, this is the phase where kids begin connecting the information that they learned in childhood to see how they connect the dots in adulthood. This means that this is the very best phase to connect the overarching narrative of God's story to their story. This is an, an incredible potential to, to re-engage their sense of wonder about the Scripture, to see how Genesis is not different than Revelation, how, how the story is still the same, even though it was written by a lot of different people over a very long time. Middle schoolers have the, the great ability to be able to connect the dots, but they need some help. So we have to help connect the dots for them. Secondly, is this, expect a crisis. When engineers try to solve complex problems in creative ways, a few crises are sure to, to, be, to, to abound. Some middle schoolers, their crisis may seem less complex than an engineer's. Their, their crisis may be simply that they got called up on stage at, at a week of camp for, for a game of duct tape roundup. But they begin to discover in this phase that they believe a lot of things that don't easily fit together. And they may ask how an all-powerful God can allow 
bad things to happen. You won't know all the answers. And here's the great thing is you don't have to know all the answers. They're just looking for someone who can ask the question, who they can ask the question to and without having a crisis of faith. You know, oftentimes when, it, when middle schoolers ask us hard questions, we immediately jump to, well, they don't have enough faith. And the reality is, is that they don't. Because they don't have enough life experience. And so they're looking for adults who will walk alongside them, who will, who will instead of freaking out over a question, will anticipate the question and affirm what they know. Like I said, you don't have to know all the answers. They don't need you to know all the answers. They just need to, you to affirm what they already know. So affirm what is what you do know and, and anchor them to a faith that is constant. Which gets us to number three. Be consistent. You may never have a phase where predictability matters more. Practice making regular promises and following through in simple ways to prove that you can be trusted. Middle schoolers need adults they can trust. It's why coaches have such an, a big influence on, on middle school students. It's why youth ministers have such a big influence on middle school students. Because they, they are adults who have proven that they can be trusted. And that they have their best interest at heart. Absolutely nothing you will say will matter for a middle schooler unless you say it with the credibility that, that you earn simply by showing up in their life. By proving that you care about them. Because remember what the number one question they ask in this phase is? is not why. It's who. Who cares? Who cares about me? And this is the phase as a church where, where we are given the opportunity to, to prove that your parents care, but it's not just your parents that care. It's, it's a group of people, a, a faith community that cares about you. And so we've got to pour into middle schoolers, maybe more than any other group. And, and I say that with, uh, with respect to every other group, to every other phase. But middle schoolers need adults who will prove to them time and time and time again that I care. And all of these things, they come back to this one idea. That they are created in the image of God. And if we will begin treating each child, even middle schoolers, like they are treated in God's image, like they are created in God's image, then we can begin to turn the tide of students who disconnect from their faith and walk away from the church. But that can only happen if we are willing to say yes to middle school students. And even more importantly, say yes to Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And Father, we thank you for middle school students. And I know that's probably something that you don't hear in prayers very often. But Father, we, we thank you for them. And Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to prove to them that we care. To pour into their lives and to help them connect to you in a way that is relevant and real. Father, may we never lose sight of the responsibility that you've given to us to raise the next generation of church leaders. So, Father, that means that we've got to stop this, this, uh, this epidemic of, of kids walking away from their faith, of, of middle schoolers and high schoolers disconnecting from you. It means that we've got to prove that we care. Not just because we love them, 
but because we love you. And so, Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would just impress upon our hearts the need to pour and invest into our middle school students. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.